This is Asked and Answered. Questions. With Tom Opferman and Steelers Digest editor Bob Labriola. Welcome into the inaugural episode of Asked and Answered, the podcast version. I am Tom Opferman, but I am merely just an understudy here in this project. The star of this show is Bob Labriola. Labs, Asked and Answered has been your baby on Steelers.com for years now. Finally getting the audio version. Yeah, uh, I stole the idea, as all good ideas <laughs> usually are stolen. Um, and, um, you know, it's it's a pretty popular feature on Steelers.com. And so we decided for, based on some of the questions I get, I don't know that everyone who submits a question actually can read. So we're going to go with the audio here a little bit. And I will hope to be every bit as informative and entertaining <coughs> as I am in print. So... Um, what do you got for me today, Tom? Got a whole heap of questions for you, so let's get started with them. Our first question has to do with cut-down day. Steelers had to cut their roster down to 53 men last week. And Patrick Flynn from Oakdale, Pennsylvania asks, does Coach Mike Tomlin meet individually with the players who are released, or does some of this fall to the assistant coaches? Well, at some point um, on cut-down day, everybody gets their chance in the head coach's office. office excuse me. Um, you know, a lot of times the initial um, word is given to them by someone else, but they all have an opportunity uh, to speak with a head coach if they want to uh, on the way out the door. And I asked, I talked to Mike Tomlin about this uh, a couple of years ago, and I asked him, you know, what cut down day was like for him. And he said, he called it the worst day of the year, quite frankly. That's a direct quote. Uh, he said, in another way, it's exciting because you have clarity in all of the work that you've done throughout the offseason, and you know who the initial 53 are going to be, and so you're starting to work with a smaller number. Um, so I asked him about his his end of the conversation, should a player decide that you know he wants to sit down one-on-one uh, with you know one of the two guys who made the decision to possibly end his football career. And uh, Mike Tom, I'm going to read his words directly, just so I, I give an accurate uh, portrayal of what he meant. He said, usually what I do is I give them black and white information as I see it, what I believe led to the decision. Then I get a feel from them what direction we go. If they need further information to determine what their next step is in football or in life, I'm there to answer that for them. If there's some disagreement in terms of my decision-making to a degree, I'm there to discuss and talk about that. If they want to get out of the room and move on, I'm open to that. After I say what it is I feel needs to be said, get them the information that I believe they deserve, I really get my feel from them in terms of where we go from there. Andrew Sherbick from Chesapeake, Virginia, wants to know, now that the preseason is over, which of the rookies really stood out to you? Well, you know, when you look at the Steelers draft class, of course, every Steelers, every draft class in franchise history is going to be compared to the one in 1974. You know, four of the first five picks made the Hall of Fame, as did undrafted rookie Donnie Shell. So that's five guys in the Hall of Fame from one draft class. Nothing will ever touch that. But I believe in time this 2021 draft class will, will be remembered fondly. Um, and so, but if you're asking me, Andrew, to pick one guy, I'm going to have to go with Najee Harris. I'll start with uh, the criticism that the Steelers received for spending a number one pick on a running back instead of an offensive lineman. Uh, and Najee Harris, to me, has been the best guy at the position on the Steelers roster from the first day he showed up at the UPMC Rooney Sports Complex. Um, you know, he's, he's a kind of a guy, and I, I say this um, – 
My wife knows. My wife, who is not a football fan and doesn't pretend to be one, but she could look at the Steelers running backs when they're in their uh, unit together, and she'll look at them and say, oh, that number 22, he's the best guy. Uh, It doesn't take any kind of real football understanding or uh, genius to to immediately identify this guy as at the top of the top of the uh, heap. Um, you know, you look at other guys in the draft class, Pat Fryermuth, Kendrick Green, Dan Moore, Buddy Johnson, even Trey Norwood, a seventh-round pick. Uh, they all, I think, have bright futures in the NFL. In my opinion, Najee Harris already looks like a special player because in addition to his physical skills, this guy has shown the Steelers that he understands the work that needs to go in, how to prepare himself uh, over the course of a season for a game, and that's why Mike Tomlin felt comfortable holding him out of that preseason finale against Carolina. Well, Steelers fans are certainly going to get introduced to their rookie class early and often. Four rookies are projected to start in the game against the Buffalo Bills. Keeping it with the rookie class, Chris Gibson from Denver, North Carolina. Didn't even know there was a Denver. Yeah, I looked it up. There is a Denver, North Carolina. You learn something new every day. Do you think it was a mistake not keeping Quincy Roche and then subsequently losing him on waivers? Does the name Tuzar Skipper ring a bell? I mean, every year it seems like uh, some – I, I will call them nobody's from nowhere. Late round draft picks, undrafted rookies, flash in the training camp process, maybe even show you uh, something in an early preseason game or two, uh, and then they they don't they're not able to sustain that level. I mean they they either plateau or they drop back in terms of their uh, place on the depth chart. They ended up getting cut. Um, that's what happened with Tuzar Skipper. That's what happened with Quincy Roche. And the reason is that another nobody from nowhere, Jameer Jones, uh, showed not only uh, some ability early on, but he continued to improve you know, throughout the, the preseason uh, and training camp process. I mean, um, you know, Jones, well, okay, Roche ended up the preseason with four tackles and one and a half sacks, but he didn't help himself with those special teams tackles. And you know, when you're uh, that kind of a player, you have to be good on special teams in order for the team to keep you around to allow you to continue to improve. That was Skipper's problem, too. He flashed a little bit on defense. He gave him nothing on special teams, and so they ended up keeping someone else. Uh, now, Jameer Jones, he had clearly better statistics in the preseason, nine tackles, two and a half sacks, nine pressures, but he also was in on eight special teams tackles. And so Jameer Jones, I believe, will be getting a helmet on game days as a rookie because of his special teams ability. And, you know, he, he also showed to be the fourth best outside linebacker throughout the summer. Mark Pace from Kansas City, Missouri asks, am I the only disappointed Steelers fan who feels Matthew Sexton deserved a spot on the team, or if not, at least a spot on this team's practice squad? Well, I can't, I can't speak to whether you're the only fan disappointed that Matthew Sexton I can. didn't make the team. He is. He is? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, come on. Who are we talking about? Um, you know, Sexton only caught two passes for 10 yards in preseason games. Um, so he really wasn't uh, threatening a roster spot with his abilities as a receiver. Now, if you want to make the uh, team as a returner only – you got to bring back one for a touchdown. Uh, Sexton had a couple of nice returns, but he didn't finish them. Uh, and then in the Carolina game, the preseason finale, he was given an opportunity to return punts against Carolina's varsity, and he muffed two. So the one thing you cannot do 
as a returner and especially cannot do if you're hoping to make the team exclusively as a returner is turn the ball over. He did it twice, or no, he turned it over once, didn't secure the ball twice. That's why he's not on the team. Ball security is job security. Yes, it Tomlin is. says that all the time. College football got underway over the Labor Day weekend, but apparently that wasn't enough for Jessica Hawk from Muskegee, Michigan. Why weren't there any NFL games over the Labor Day weekend? With the media attention gained from Final Cutdown, it seems like the NFL should have kept that momentum going. Well, as a wise man once told me, whenever the question is why, the answer is money. And, you know, some time ago, the uh, broadcast partners, the t- television networks who pay NFL teams a lot, a lot of money, uh, came to the conclusion that on Labor Day weekend, People want to do other things besides, you know, stay in the house and watch football games. Uh, so uh, the, the broadcast partners in one of the previous couple of contract negotiations, they said we, want, we, we don't want games to start on Labor Day weekend. Um, you know, the NFL looked at it and said, wow, that's a pretty big check you guys are writing. Let's push it back a week. So that's what, uh, that's what happened. And that's why there was a 14-day break between the end of this preseason and the start of the regular season. Maybe the schedule gets adjusted at some point, so there's not that long break between the end of the preseason and the start of the regular season. But uh, I don't know, unless uh, somebody finds a way to sedate 32 NFL owners, they're not going uh, to spit in the eye of those broadcast partners. Games will not start until the Thursday after Labor Day. She said it seems like the NFL should keep that momentum going. I don't think the NFL has much problem keeping momentum going. That's a 365-day-a-year sport. I agree with you. Um, Yeah, the the ratings will be great starting uh, this Thursday and then carry on through Sunday and Monday. Guillermo Diaz from Sierra Azul, Veracruz, Mexico. Our first international question on the audio version of Ask and Answers. Very exciting. He wants to know, always interested in Steelers' history concerning their last three head coaches, was there any role for Chuck Knoll and Bill Cower in selecting their successors? Were both selections and hiring processes based upon similar principles slash attributes? Yeah, I mean the Rooneys believe that it, you know they're the owners of the team uh, and that um, you don't really need any help from previous hired help to help you pick the next hired help. So no, they had no roles in that, and uh, the whole process was kind of invented by Dan Rooney and perfected by him. He didn't get a lot of opportunities uh, to test out his his uh, process, but uh, the guy's three for three, so um, that's pretty good average. And one of the let me just give it to you quickly here. The one of the basis of Dan Rooney's philosophy on hiring coaches is you don't really ask him about football because he wouldn't be in the position he is in, which is a candidate for a head coaching job in the NFL, if he didn't know football. So when Dan Rooney would talk to these candidates. What he would concentrate on was trying to learn about them as people. And then you'd make the decision based on the answers you get, uh, the kind of people they are, and then would those kinds of people be the kind who would fit in with your organization. That's how both Bill Cower, or excuse me, let's start at the beginning. That's how Chuck Knoll, Bill Cower, and Mike Tomlin got their jobs. A couple more questions here. Nicholas Pelker from Purcellville, Virginia. During the Steelers' first two seasons at Heinz Field, this facility had a lousy playing surface. Was it design flaws, or was the turf just rushed? Well, when Heinz Field was open in two thousand for the two thousand and one season, what was on the turf was it was a blend called DD Grassmaster, 
And that was a, it combined natural grass with some polyurethane fibers, which were supposed to be very durable. But what happens is, you know, the, the, the fibers were weaved through the natural grass. But what happens in the Northeast, when winter comes, grass stops growing. Okay, so then there, when that stopped growing, that turned brown and just became dirt. Um, and then there was the synthetic fibers, but it's not like real artificial turf where it's dense th- synthetic fibers. So what you couldn't do with that surface either is resawed any of it because you had that uh, webbing of artificial turf down and you, you can't just tear up a section of it to, because it's all kind of part of the same thing. So after a couple of years of that and um, Nicholas's uh, evaluation of the turf, excuse me, of the turf is accurate. It was bad. Uh, and the, not only did the Steelers play on it, Pitt played on it, and the Roonies also believe very strongly in having Heinz Field host the high school championship games uh, because they believe that you know high school football in western Pennsylvania is important. So they weren't going to change their minds on that. So they tore out the DD Grassmaster and put in just plain grass. Now they uh, resawed it a couple, three times a year. And if you were able to see uh, a telecast of the Steelers' home playoff game last year against the Cleveland Browns in January, looked like pretty green grass to me. It certainly did. And last but certainly not least, Joe Schmeling from Pittsburgh, PA, has a hypothetical for you. It's fourth and goal from the one-yard line. We're down by five points and six seconds left. I guess in this hypothetical, he plays for the Steelers, too. With the new run-blocking offensive lineman and a great rookie running back, are we going to be able to impose our will on the defense and pound it in like the good old days, or will we still have to pass the ball? Uh, Who cares? (laughs) You know, um, based on the way that the question is posed, you need to get the ball in the end zone, get the ball in the end zone. Um, You know, uh, he references to the good old days. Um, I remember the coach during the good old days was a guy named Noel. And Noel saying that he hung up in the locker room at Three River Stadium was whatever it takes. So whatever it takes, Joe, uh, get the ball in the end zone, win the game, and uh, we can worry about the aesthetics later. Whatever it takes. Well, whatever it takes, we'll be back every week with another edition of Asked and Answered, the podcast version. Thanks so much for listening to this inaugural episode. You can find it at Steelers.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And like I said, Labs and I will be back again next week for another edition of Asked and Answered on Steelers.com.